0: Hello, and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and I am joined today with my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, say hello to everyone. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. And we are here for another episode of The Reviews. This will be episode 30. And today we are, and by we, I mean he, Caleb, taking a look at The Calling, which is a game from Ohad Reiter, a writer. I'm sure I messed that up. Uh, And we just want to start off the top by saying thank you to them for sending us this copy for review. All right. So, quick overview, Caleb. What is The Calling?
1: Okay. So, The Calling is a really fun genre mashup of post Armageddon sci fi and westerns. The cover of the book is a robotic Tyrannosaurus Rex shooting a laser cannon out of its mouth and there's cowboys with samurai sword samurai swords easy for you to say was not so if that cover doesn't grab you i don't know what will but that tells you exactly what this game is
0: excellent so i love post-apocalyptic post armageddon sci-fi western tropes again dark tower comes to mind there's a a little bit of maybe like Firefly in there. That I think this is Earth based It's not in, in stars, yes. uh, but yeah. You, again, I will admit that that cover is compelling, and I can only hope that the game lives up to the cover. So high level, this is a huge thing that the, that this dude sent us. There's a lot to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There is a lot in this book. This, I, I feel like this is a quasi crunchy game. If that okay. makes sense. Okay. Uh, The the mechanics themselves are very simple, but there are a lot of tactical options. There are a lot of class build options. So on one hand, there is a lot of crunch. However, the, the rules ask players to role play a lot and prompt us to role play a lot and then mechanically support and reward that. So I think the calling straddles that line of crunchy tactical and narrative-focused role play very, very nicely. I think the book gives us a ton of world-building information to make the world feel very vibrant and still gives opening for us as players to inject whatever we want with it. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the story here first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is right up your alley, Michael, uh, especially given a Kickstarter that will be coming to the internet soon.
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: I don't know what you're talking about either. So Armageddon happened after the course of a few generations, society has been rebuilt based upon old movies. Yeah. The one thing that survived the Armageddon, that revived the culture, that Taught humanity how to be human again are movies. These movies have impacted every part of, we'll call it modern, but future modern life. Society is living somewhere in the surviving untainted lands in Asia. They don't know where they are. The book calls this part of the country the Wild East as opposed to the Wild West. Fair, fair. So there are no big cities. Everything's a town. This is very much the pockets of safety in a dangerous world type of vibe. The towns are built almost all identically, and they are all built just like a town would be in an old Wild West movie. There's Main Street, there's a saloon, there's a a shop, there's a doctor. At one end is a church. There's farmland and ranch land around it for growing food and animals and things like that. Everything is very much just copy paste out of a movie. The ruling bodies of a town are a little bit like mafia movies, mm. uh, but they're all styled in kind of that, again, very stereotypical out of the movies. Uh, far east, they live in in dojos. They have uh like I don't remember what those kinds of buildings are that we see in every type of stereotypical Asian movie. You know what I'm talking about.
0: I do. It's a, I, I want to use the phrase Christmas tree, but that's wrong. Like yes. Those, those wooden sort of like branches that go off from a central location.
1: Yes. Yeah. Everything is what the movies taught them. They, they've they modeled this after the movies. Currency are film strips. Mm. And each uh, each frame is like, a dollar or a gold coin, whatever. And that's incredibly precious. Towns themselves all have a church that's run by nuns. And the nuns keep the movie projectors and the movies. This is their sacred text. This is their their holy script is watching movies. So the nuns in the church have the only movie projector.
0: This sounds like paradise.
1: They play a movie every night and then give a sermon based on the movie and that's that's the world we're in there's there's mutated creatures there's dangerous robots there's terrible monsters but in these little towns of of cowboy movie set in the middle east not the middle east the, the far east we've got these little pockets of civilization so that's the world of the game it's cool i like it
0: that does sound very cool uh, i certainly I could see myself having a lot of fun leaning into and then sometimes subvert the tropes of the movies. But so you you touched on You said it was a pretty simple mechanic. So let's talk about that because that's always where usually my sticking point comes in. If I want to ride my cowboy character through the town, a whooping and a holler, and yes, that is a blazing silence reverence because we're going to rob the bank. Yep. How am I actually going to accomplish that in the game?
1: All right. So this is super, super simple. We've got five stats. Okay and their values range from one to six when you want to do something you roll 2d6 and add the stat done okay that's it uh there are skills but a skill role is just a stat roll. okay so for example one of the skills is muscle which you could use like to actually lift things or or do something strong with or maybe you could kind of muscle in and intimidate somebody. There's some flexibility with how okay. these stats are interpreted. So if you are trained in a skill that is related to muscle, all you're doing is rolling your muscle. If you are not trained, there is a penalty.
0: Okay. From a simplicity stake, I really like that. It's mm-hmm. just sort of a locking, unlocking mechanism. But I feel like there's also a lot of like, I'll call muddy water there mm-hmm. that like some things you shouldn't need a skill to do and does the book address that at all or is it like literally you don't have a skill you get a penalty even though in fiction that may not make sense
1: there are a lot of things in the book that just say if your trait that's what they call stats your muscle your grace your insight is high enough things just automatically happen
0: okay that's another catch-all for that
1: yeah there's a lot of references to the person running the game give this information to the player or the character with the highest insight. Or when you when they walk into the dungeon, whoever has the best fill in the blank knows this thing. Okay. So again, we're kind of straddling that line of simplicity versus mechanically making things feel good.
0: <laughs> right, right. And and I don't think that's a negative or a positive. It's just something to, to consider. Um, and I do like that as a game... Like, it's just assumed that someone in the group is going to be because if the game only works, if you know something, then you should always give that a player that information. That's just like one of my GM and philosophies is don't bottleneck things that are crucial to the plot. And it seems like this game as a whole just goes. So if you had a group that say no one had a good muscle, like you just, you know, four wizards or whatever, I don't know if wizards in the game, you would still give that information to someone Hmm. because that's what the game works. So there are corner cases, but as someone who's written a book recently trying to explain how role-playing games work, if you worry too much about corner cases, your book will be 7 million pages. That's very, very true. There's also
1: some other really cool parts of the mechanics here. NPCs, monsters, fights,
0: none of them roll dice. Okay, so it's all player rolling? It's all player rolling.
1: So when you're fighting a monster or looking at the bestiary in this book, which is part of the book, the monsters just have flat numbers as what they do and those represent the dcs so uh, they might have a value for observation and if the players are trying to sneak the players are rolling they're sneaking against the monster's observation that sets the dc
0: cipher system works like that i'm sure there are other games too but that's the one i'm most familiar with
1: yeah i like that i like all the dice being on the player side it makes running as a narrator, as a game master, very, very simple because I'm not playing against variables. I don't have dice. I can just have the monster sheet in front of me. And when the players are attacking the monster, they're rolling their attack versus a defense DC. When I'm attacking them, they are rolling their damage, their defense, their dodge against my attack DC. It's very supportive of the players being in control their agency. I'm getting out of the way. I'm ducking and rolling a- across the alley. I'm picking up a barrel to block the the monster attacking me. It's very it feels very much like that action movie support mechanic.
0: So it does make me question then um, like are there challenge ratings for lack of a better term for like you know I I'm, I'm want my players to fight a robotic turkey or a robotic t-rex so is there guidelines for like do do you level up do your characters get more powerful type of a thing
1: yes absolutely so very similar to 13th age we've got levels of 1 through 10 and depending on uh, the class you take um, you actually have kind of two classes you've got a a dojo which is Basically, where you learn how to fight. So a katana, a laser gun, fisticuffs,
0: okay. Like
1: how you interact with the world violently.
0: Yeah. Caleb spent two and a half minutes panamiming mean, fists before he said that word. Just so you know, I'll let it down to a couple of seconds, but it was a good two minutes.
1: It was, it was a great shadow boxing. Thank he you. Was, yeah. Thank you for that recognition.
0: A little Taibo action there. Billy Blanks would be proud. He would, yeah. He got my
1: three easy payments of $49.99 back in the day. Same. Yeah. Um, And then you have a calling. A calling is kind of your role in the world as a character. So your calling might be a nun, a cowboy, a witch, and there's tons and tons of options. So as you level up and you level up by completing personal quests, take down a bad guy, rescue a villager, find an ancient book, that kind of thing. Again, very role-play infusing in the world.
0: I like that, actually. That's, that's, that's a good mechanic. Thank yeah,
1: you. and then you level up. So when you complete a quest, you gain a level. And then the abilities you gain from the levels, they all feel very much uh, like feats from a D&D standpoint. And they tend to be very, when this happens, you get to do this. At, at the start of a fight, if a monster does this, if this situation is occurring... You can take this action or power up something or take a stance where you have certain defensive or attack abilities. So uh, that's how we create the characters as you rank up. So rank one, rank two, rank three, those are your levels. Very straightforward. When we're looking at the monsters, it's kind of like a one-to-one. There's rank one monsters, rank two monsters, rank three monsters. And it gives us a very clear structure of how to balance encounters. Okay. It can it can be one to one. A rank one can take on a rank one. Four rank ones should be able to take on a rank four.
0: Gotcha.
1: The math is very, very simple. Okay. Speaking of monsters, one thing I really like about this is when you have giant monsters, the biggest size category. When you're fighting Godzilla,
0: mm-hmm. when
1: you're fighting the giant sea monster, the bestiary breaks that huge monster into multiple monsters so for example you've let's say you're fighting a, a giant t-rex you've got the head and then you've got the body and well in that case there's only two but some of the monsters have like four or five individual components okay each of those components has their own attacks and stat blocks so for example if i was fighting the Transaurus rex and i reduced the head Component to zero, he's not dead because all of his body has to be dead, but he can't use his laser cannon anymore.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So you can kind of tactically understand a huge monster fight a lot better. And as a player, you can take some real active control in strategy. Mm -hmm. So if we're fighting a giant sea monster and it's got tentacles that are going everywhere, grabbing things, I know that I can attack those tentacles. Specifically, and shut them down essentially, so now that grab attack is no longer going to be a threat
0: and then again, in not comparing contrast, but in other games like dd for example, what I've tried to do similar to that mm-hmm. um, and there aren't really rules all the time that allow me to do that, so I'm arbitrary going, okay, this thing has four arms, it has a hundred hit points every twenty five hit points, I'll say one arm can't do a thing. That is sort of how this works, but it's codified better. So you could like everyone attack the right arm because that's where it's got its giant laser cannon. Take that out of the battle first thing. And then you just got to deal with the stomping attacks, the biting attacks and that kind of thing. So I do like how that could work from like a strategy and as a narrative process in the story. Exactly.
1: I really, really like that because I've done the same thing. I've tried to make multi-tiered battles in d and or in any game that doesn't quite have that mechanic baked in to it, and it's always challenging. We get it here right off the rip, and that's really cool. As we are talking about combat, as we're talking about dice rolling, uh, the calling gives us another kind of resolution mechanic. Okay, frames this as how you resolve certain scenes. In a movie, again, everything is very movie-oriented. So the book calls this a dramatic scene. And there are options like a negotiation, a heist, investigating a scene, that kind of thing. So instead of just saying, let's do some die rolls to investigate, the book says when we have a dramatic scene like this, here's how you format it. Here's how you structure it. And then we need to have, everyone takes three actions. Let me rephrase that. Three actions take place. It doesn't matter who does them. They could all be done by one player. Multiple players could do them. When we have a dramatic scene, three actions take place. And those are three skill checks. And for each type of dramatic scene, a negotiation, a heist, an investigation, whatever, the book then structures, here's what the checks probably should look like or could be about. Here's okay. some of the inspiration for how you can provide this information to players. And then it gives you, okay, based on the roles, if there are zero successes, here's what happens. All the way up to three successes, here's what
0: happens.
1: Okay. So we're not using a different mechanical resolution. We're still rolling 2d6 and adding the applicable trait, but it's not just... Okay, make a skill check and then give some information to the players.
0: It's like essentially a skill challenge. It's it's, it's a skill
1: challenge, yeah. but it's baked in. It's codified and it's very supported in the book telling us when you want this type of movie scene to occur, here's how it's done. Mm-hmm. This is the type of thing that I both like and dislike. Okay. I like this book in how it gives so many tools to players and narrators or game masters. This book is very much written in the, I understand you may not have done this before, I understand you may need a little help, here's all the information you need. Here's the rules, here's when, here's when to do this, here's when to do that. But there's also a lot of, you always do this, you never do this. You only do this. There are a lot of hard, absolute statements.
0: Hmm. That doesn't seem to fit everything else you've said so far. That seems weird. It does. And it felt
1: weird reading it. It's not bad. It's not antagonistic. But the book is very much to tell this story, follow these rules. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's no, just no. something to be aware of.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Uh,
1: if – um, as experienced, seasoned role players and improvisers, it feels a little restricting. Now, of course, we all know it's just a book. You don't have to do what the book yeah, says. Yeah.
0: Once you're at the table, you knew whatever the heck you want. Right.
1: For a brand new player, I think it could be helpful because it it gives us a box to work in. Even if within that box, we have a lot of freedom of what we can do. Right. However, I think. For some people, they may dislike some of that phrasing. It may feel a little weird or restricting. Again, I don't think it's bad, but just kind of to be fair as reviewing the book, I think that's a point to know.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, you, know, you had sent me a written review to, to look over and you said that the book comes in at like 450 pages. That is a massive tone, yeah. but it sounds like it's a GM book, a player book, and a bestiary all in one.
1: It is everything, absolutely.
0: Does it come with like a sample adventure or a campaign?
1: It does not. Um, but there is a lot of structure for how to run games. And here is something that's really, really neat about the calling. In D&D, in 13th Age, we know that there are deities. There are, there are gods. There are whatever we want to call them. Those exist in the calling. But in the calling, they have a much more... Active role in the story. In a lot of books, we see stats and breakdowns for deities. We have the same stats and breakdowns for the the gods in the calling. We call them star gods. Choosing a star god and building a star god from a a GM standpoint, from a narrator standpoint, actually defines the type of game you're playing. Okay. So if you build a star god that has a horror twist you're gonna play a horror game if you are building one that is about mischief and sowing chaos it might be more of a heist style campaign or a a group of thieves doing things if you are if you make up a star a star god that is about pirates you're going to play a pirate game. <laughs> so the, the, the style that you pick for how this star god exists and views the world kind of shapes the campaign you're running. So if we go to that session zero,
0: Bing, take a drink.
1: the players are creating their characters. You as the narrator are creating the star god that is directly interacting with these characters. And you're all building and shaping the story and the world together. Okay, This is where the title comes in. So the book is called The Calling. Part of your character build is your calling to the world. The Star God is the one that called you. Mm. So the players are the chosen ones of the Star God. And they exist, essentially, to be the Star God's bodyguards. Because another big part of this game is that floating around in the world are a bunch of cosmic horror monstrosities that want to kill the star God. So the star God has picked these characters to be it's chosen. They're going to go on some adventures. And then at the same time, make sure these horrible creatures don't find and attack your star God. Okay. If that happens, if the these horrible cosmic creatures kill the party and the star God, the game ends, you lose. Okay. So the calling gives you a win and loss mechanic.
0: That, Seems weird. I'm not going to say it's bad, Mm -hmm. but it seems weird. And that makes me, that calls me back to some of those other like very restrictive elements. That Mm -hmm. feels more like a board game than a role-playing game. Not saying good or bad, but
1: it's weird. A clear structure to the story. The story, much like a movie that this is all inspired by, has a very clear beginning, middle, and end. The characters are called by the Star God. They go on adventures, they power up, and then as they are adventuring, they're encountering these creatures, the book calls them doppelgangers, that are hidden in the world, but when we find them, they transform and reveal their horrible outer-worldly cosmic terror, and then they fight. Mm. And interestingly, and again, you're going to see some restrictions here, I'm just warning you, (laughs) there are six doppelgangers, and you have to fight them in order.
0: Hmm. Okay. So it's like the seven X's that you have to fight except it's six.
1: Yeah. And the doppelgangers fighting the doppelgangers actually have kind of like an advancement cap. You have to fight them in order. And when you fight like the level one, that's when you can advance your ranks higher. So it is a very video game boss fight.
0: I was just saying when I said it sounds like a board game, I, I misspoke. It sounds like a video game. Yes. Yeah. Not saying good or bad, but that definitely evokes a. This is a video game style progression.
1: It's it's exactly that. I don't think it's terrible. I like having a very clear structure to a game because a lot of times when you're running a campaign, when you're writing a campaign, the paralysis of choice kicks in, and if you don't have a lot of comfort and confidence in kind of building that longer story arc. Or multiple overlapping story arcs to develop a bigger world, it's challenging and it can be frustrating. Right. The calling builds that structure in. It's just the bones. Every game you play is going to have the same bones, but how you flesh out the story that you're creating is always going to be a little different. It's not good, it's not bad, it's different.
0: So much like that, like if if that's what you are looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's probably amazing. If yes. that isn't exactly what you're looking for, then you're probably going to bump up against some hard edges and corners and have to find a way to work around that to, to truly enjoy the game.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what I feel like. As a word about the star gods, they are also the source of magic. So characters have access to prayers, which is like a spell. Mm-hmm. Think in, in thinking D&D terms, it's kind of a mashup of arcane and divine concepts again in that video game concept characters have a a currency that they have to spend with their god to cast a spell but interestingly in the rules it says a player offers a spell or offers a prayer to their star god you've got to make a good prayer you've got to make a good case if you don't make a good case your star god says i don't care and doesn't do it yeah (laughs) So you have to role play that request. And the book even encourages you. It's not just about being humble. It's not just, oh, Star God, please help me. You can try to boss them around. You can try to bully them a little bit. These aren't high and mighty deities. These are just super powered beings. If we dig into the story of the game a little bit, these are actually just aliens that humans found during the golden age of space travel. And these aliens were like, "Yo, you're cool. We're gonna come back and and check you out." And we helped each other for a little bit, and then everyone started killing each other.
0: Mm. Humans ruin everything.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I just want to throw that out here. There are a lot of social commentaries in this book, very subtly hidden. Okay, but there are. It is very much a humans are kind of the worst, and we ruin everything. <laughs> so. Uh it's not bad. It's not leaning one way or the other. I think it's just an interesting take on some philosophical concepts about morality and ethics. Okay. But it's I, fun. I like I, it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So you also mentioned there are some like uh ancillary things that came with the book. I think there's some online resources. Were there any other things like uh pre-gens or chart like anything like extra outside of those 450 pages that you want to talk about?
1: So there's not a whole lot online right now when we go to the website there is a direct link to buy the books on drive rpg where there's also a free quick start guide if you want to take a look at some things on the website itself there are also just downloadable resources of player sheets and then gm sheets okay you can download them in a couple different paper sizes if you want to print them in a variety of ways or you can just download the pdf version to fill out yourself on your computer that's it it's very bare bones very useful though i mean i always struggle to find a good character sheet and end up you know just scribbling something in a book so i don't Mm. want to go to the store to print something um so it's handy it's handy dandy but there's no extra resources there's no cards there's no extra monsters or maps or pregens or anything
0: all right so we, we've kind of gotten away from the original rubric that we were using for these reviews just because they weren't always applicable and it, we were shoehorning things in. But is there anything about the layout that you want to talk about, good or bad? Is there anything about the art you want to talk about, good or bad?
1: So the art is very cool. It's black and white, very pulpy. So if you think of like old Conan, old Cowboys, Wild West kind of books, it's very evocative. Uh, so it's really cool art. There's not a lot of art, though. This is a very text-heavy book. You're going to do a lot of reading. It is well-organized, going from information about the game, kind of wrapping some of the story details, but not going heavy. It's really focused at the start of the book in how to play the game, which is great. I love that. There's enough story details to help you understand and help it all make sense towards kind of the last third of the book, there's a good chunk of pages. Here is the actual story. But it feels good. Some of the organization feels a little chaotic. There's a couple pieces of information that are just, oh, here's a section on this. Like it makes sense reading the chapter, but it's something that if this was, say, D&D or 13th age, would probably be in a little sidebar. Mm -hmm. highlighted differently or separated or have a table associated with it. Everything in this book is just page after page after page of text. It's not bad. It's just a design choice. I don't dislike it. I think it maybe could have had a slightly more accessible layout, but it's not bad.
0: Right, right. Okay. No, very fair. So before we get to our overall rating, is there anything else good or bad about the product that you want to mention that just didn't come up already that you just think is worth mentioning?
1: Um, I think we've really covered the basics. I think, like we've said, this is a very, it's an open RPG within a specific structure. As long as you want to play a story that is structured like that, you're going to love this game. If you're used to a much more open-ended narrative where the game is just giving you inspiration and guidance and it's up to you to make the story, that's not this game. This game is telling you, here is how you tell a specific story in this specific world. It's very formulaic, like a video game, like a movie. But the the whole story is that movies have inspired society. So I think that fits. Mm -hmm. One cool thing we didn't talk about that's just a fun flavor. All of the typical high fantasy monsters, goblins, orcs, ogres, they're all robots. Oh, okay. Because underneath the world, there's still a whole bunch of killer AI robots building each other and self-replicating to try to attack us. Oh, okay. So that's just a thing. Just, it's, lot just of, the thing. it's just okay. a thing. There's a lot of things happening in this world that you got to deal with.
0: Yeah, I guess we didn't really um, kind of broach like, why is there a T-Rex with a laser cannon for a mouth running around? Like, you know, post, post-apocalypse. Since there were aliens involved, I kind of associated there. But I guess it ties more back to humans sucking and killing each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in the specific case of the T-Rex with a cannon in its mouth, humans said, hey, aliens, with with your complete genetic control of everything that can rewrite genetic code and do whatever you want, can you bring dinosaurs back and make them cooler? And the alien said, yes. yes. And then the world ended. So
0: there you go. There you go. Jinkies, <laughs> humans are the real monsters. It really is. Awesome. All right, so... Overall, but we're going to give this a rating. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, if you're listening for the first time, we only talk about things here at the Academy that we enjoy. Like we try to focus on positives more than negatives, but we, especially for reviews, we want to kind of give both sides. So if we truly did not like a game, we just won't cover it at all. You'll never know that we were even considering it. So our lowest rating for a game that we would review is a C minus. So we're still Mm -hmm. passing all the way up to an A plus. Tom actually wrote out like a rubric for what each one of those means. I never remembered it. So I'm not worried about right here. So Caleb, you got to give this a rating, C minus to A plus. Where does this fall for you?
1: I'm going to give this one a C plus. It sounds negative and I don't mean it to be negative. I really do enjoy this book, but I think the restrictions that it imposes are a challenge. Okay. I also think the book could have done with... A little bit more editing and layout review. There are some grammatical mistakes throughout. The layout is a little text heavy and word heavy. Some of the, like I said, some of the sections that it gives us are, they just don't feel right reading them start to finish. It's like I read A, B, F, C, D. It's not bad. It's really not bad, but it's not a top tier book and i, I gotcha. I'm not being negative, I feel bad saying that, but I'm trying to be an honest reviewer
0: yeah, and that that's what that's what we want, and we, you know we want people who listen to our reviews or read them to know that we're not just giving great reviews to everything, like we do want to try to examine it and give it a fair review based on our conversation. I would have expected it to be higher because it seemed like the things that were really good were really good, like you know, I love the movie theme and and the the mechanics being pretty light, so to me, your your rating is more focused on the book, not necessarily the game. And I don't, and I'm not saying you're wrong at all, but I just want to make that distinction that I think we would both have a lot of fun playing this game. Yes. But the product itself could be better at giving us the tools we need to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I like that specification. The The concept of the game is great. The core mechanics are very simple. The flavor of the game is amazing. but the way that that game is presented to us in the book is not the optimal way to see this game for the best version of itself it can
0: be. And and as someone who's currently writing a book, it's really hard to do that. It truly is so hard to communicate and text something in your brain that I could explain to you, just like we did, we'd have a conversation, I could probably sell you on Action 12 Cinema easily Mm -hmm. but then giving you a book saying, hey read it and then you know what I think you should know about this game is really hard so I just you know with that understanding I still hope people will check it out there will be links in our show notes that you can go to drive through and take a look if you do end up buying if you use our link we get a very small percentage back from uh, drive through doesn't cost you any extra and it doesn't take any money away from the creator we just get a little bonus from from drive through for doing it and once again, I just want to really thank the creator. I'm sure I mess up the, the name, Ohad. Thank you for giving us a chance to look at your game. I do think this is something I want to play. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to happen, but uh, at some point I'd like to give it a shot. Though, just completely honesty here, should have went with D12s. Like it, it instantly would have made your game better if you said D12s of D6s. I get it. The, you know, the tyranny of the D6 still lives, but the D12 is fighting the good fight. Viva the rev- revolution. <laughs> Any final words here before we sign off,
1: Caleb? I really like the concept of the game. I think it could be a lot of fun uh, if you want to play that very movie-driven, video game-inspired kind of progression. This is absolutely a fun game to play.
0: Uh, anyone else out there listening, if you do decide to check out the game or have experience and you'd like to kind of let us know what you thought, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment on the episode specifically or you know, hit us up in any of our Facebook or Twitter posts about the review when it comes out. And if you have a game you would like for us to consider reviewing, we kind of have an open submission policy. You just email the show, the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Uh, we don't promise that we will get to this part for any review, but we will take a look at anything that you send us and uh, and make that decision. So with that, we will finally say, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast.